0: I am so excited to be introducing this guest to you. I'd like you to meet Akshay Nanavati. Now, there is not enough time to go into all the accomplishments and interesting successes that Akshay has had, but let me give you a little bit of detail about his history. He has overcome drug addiction, PTSD from fighting in Iraq. He was a Marine and eventually left the life of depression and alcoholism, that pushed him to the brink of suicide. Not many people will talk about that. So there's something there in itself. But since then, this is what gets fascinating. Akshay has built a global business. He's run ultra marathons, 24-hour runs, climbed mountains in the Himalayas. He's done 10 days in darkness and isolation. You name it, there are so many success stories and interesting adventures when it comes to Akshay. He is in the middle of training for a solo, the first ever solo, 110-day, 1,700-mile, coast-to-coast, on-foot, crossing of Antarctica. You're not going to hear many stories like this. I think that his superpower is really his relationship with a worthy cause and his understanding of fear and the indicator that lies within it. You're going to love this interview. Pay attention closely to the way that he describes his relationship with fear and what he does when he finds it. And you will leave this amazing conversation feeling better, feeling charged up and ready to lean into your fears as you get out of your own way. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Akshay Nanavati. What's up and welcome, everybody. I'm really excited for today. I I get excited for all these. I've only done a few, so it's a new kind of excitement. But I'm particularly excited today because we get to talk about some weird, exciting, unheard of, uncharted territory today with a friend that has been actually a a really big part of me feeling like I have a network in Arizona. Everyone say hey to Akshay Naravadi. He is a very, very big connector inside of the Arizona terrain for me has been a big influence and I've learned a lot just by watching his story. Uh, and I'll give you the context as to how this conversation happened. I was at a, um, I was in Scottsdale, had not moved there yet, was sitting down, having lunch with a bunch of guys and Akshay joined. And while all of us were talking about what we were doing that day, and we had worked out and lifted and done all this stuff, Ashe came in and very nonchalantly said that he had been pulling a tire across Arizona all day. And and upon further inquisition, verified that it was literally all day. It was like eight (laughs) hours or something. And the conversation just kept on rolling where I learned that uh, the the next dream that he had was to walk across Antarctica. And if you've ever had a conversation with someone that tells you something like, I'm going to walk across Antarctica, you can't <laughs> help but ask a thousand questions. And I didn't have a chance to get a thousand questions in. So today we get to do that. Akshay, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you for having me, brother. Appreciate it, man. So everyone got to hear a little bit about like, Oh, oh, this wild journey that you've been on. And and I'd like to go back a little bit before the fun bio elements of your story and, and just learn about who you were. Like, let's just go back to b- before this Antarctica yeah. dream had even emerged. W- what were you pursuing and how did that even evolve? The
1: the birth of actually everything that I am today with Firvana as an adventurer, as an endurance athlete, and just someone who explores the edges It started when I joined the Marines. I had moved to the U.S. at 13, born in India. When I moved here, I got very, very heavily into drugs, into alcohol. At the time, I was the person I am now in the sense of playing on the edges, but drugs was my vehicle of expression. So I was the one kind of pushing hard into drugs. I lost two friends to addiction and was heading down that path until I saw the movie Black Hawk Down. And that movie planted the seed that changed my life forever watching these men sacrificing their lives, the heroism to put their life on the line for another human being, to die for another human being. you know, Just that courage, what kind of person would do that? And almost overnight, stopped doing drugs, uh, despite two doctors telling me that training would kill me because of a blood disorder that I was born with, in addition to having flat feet and scoliosis, I enlisted in the United States Marines, and that changed my life forever, man. That birthed the essence of who I am today, because in the Marines, I learned how to suffer, I learned the beauty of going to war with the self and pushing oneself, not just for your higher self, but doing it for others as well. You know, in the Marines, you live for the mission. You live for the group. No, it's not about you and how good you feel. It's about the group and the good of the group. To live in a world like that is profoundly beautiful, right? You're living for tribe. And so that that had me then want to continue to explore the edges, and push further into my own limits and ultimately see how much I could shatter them. So I got in every outdoor sport you can think of because I was scared of everything. I was scared of heights. I was scared of cold, tight spaces, scared of water. So I went scuba diving, mountain climbing, skydiving, cave diving. I mean, you kind of name it. Deployed to Iraq then, this kind of a break from outdoor sports in 07 as an infantry Marine, where one of my jobs out there was to walk in front of our vehicles looking for bombs before they could be used to kill me and my fellow Marines. So through all these experiences, I learned to master my relationship with fear and keep playing on those edges and pushing myself. Until I came back from the war, I lost a very close friend of mine in the war, and I struggled a lot after coming home. Was diagnosed with PTSD, depression, heavy drinking, until one morning after five days of binge drinking, I woke up and I was seconds away from slitting my wrists. That moment, that rock bottom moment, is what began the climb out of the abyss And I mean, clawing my way out of that darkness, one step at a time, through one combination of research and neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, understanding myself, and two was continuing to go deeper within within to confront my own demons and ultimately to find the value in them and put them to use to enhance myself and to do something worthy with this life I've been gifted and not wasted drinking, drinking and doing, doing you know, drinking myself to what inevitably would have been a death and. And that's what got me into then writing *Firvana*, into a business, into endurance sports, and now to pushing the very edge into a place that I've never been before, into something no human being has ever done before, to do this crossing of Antarctica. But that's kind of the arc of the journey that led me into becoming an, an, an adventure athlete, an endurance athlete, and someone who likes to see what we can find when we go beyond what we think we are capable of.
0: It, it, to to put all that in like a sixty second reel is, a, is impossible, <laughs> right? It's a lot. I threw at you. You've done so much, and and I'm curious to know how, like, tactically or or even just thematically, you've had to confront yourself a lot. Even the way you described that, right? Hey, I was. Watching, I was was watching my life unravel Mm -hmm. and I saw this movie and I had to confront myself and make a change. Mm -hmm. And then after I got out and lost a friend, I had to confront myself. I like to think that we're the biggest problem. I'm my biggest problem. Mm -hmm. And the confrontation of self has changed over the years, each time being a little bit more maybe patient and graceful. Mm. How has... Have your confrontations of self where you, you know you got to change and you, you're at the bottom making a final choice, yeah. how, have, how have they changed?
1: You know, I certainly wasn't as self-aware as I am now way back in the day, right? When it first happened, it was an exposure to a new reference that led to a new reality, that led to me creating a new reality. And so one way we do that is we surround ourselves with people, with ideas, with concepts, listening to podcasts that will expand our awareness of what's possible. Because every one of us, you, me, we don't know what we don't know, right? We're all trapped within our own constraints of our own reality, with our own lens and paradigms and belief systems. So to start to even figure out what you don't know is real or what you don't know is possible, you you expand yourself. You put yourself in situations where you will be a little uncomfortable, where you're open to new ideas, right? That, but again, I wasn't doing that consciously back then. I happened to see this movie. <laughs> right. And then after after the war, you know, and when I hit that rock bottom, Pain is the greatest driver of change. So you get enough pain, you will change. You know, I mean, I they, oh, yeah. that was that was the that was I was enough pain. Like that that to me, the fact that I even thought about taking my own life that shocked me. I mean, it was I was drinking a lot at that point. Obviously, that didn't just happen one day. But I, but I'd never gotten to the point where I thought about taking my own life yet. And the fact that I came that close to literally picking up a knife and slitting my wrist was. Horrifying, you know? So enough pain is the trigger of change. So now what you do with, with enough awareness and for somebody listening is engineer that, right? Like engineer that pain because pain is relative. Everybody's rock bottom mm-hmm. is different. So if something is not right, you look at like at any, at any crossroads in life, there, oh, we're always in a crossroad. Every path you take, there will be struggle. I could choose, for example, to continue drinking or I could choose to change my way. Both paths were struggle. You could choose to be someone who keeps eating junk food and being 100 pounds overweight, or you could choose to change and go to the gym more. Both paths are going to have struggle. So when you look at that, like one of the things that have people do is write down, okay, here's, here's path one, here's path two, right? Narrow down, and whatever the crossroad may be. This relationship isn't going too well. I can quit and stay single or be in it, whatever the thing may be. And okay, in, each, in path one, here's all the rewards. Here's all the struggle. Path two, here's all the rewards. Here's all the struggle. And go deep, don't just like do Don't just do this in a light way. Go deep, spend time with this. And then the question to ask is very simple. Which struggle are you willing to endure? When the pain mm. of the path you are, the actions you are not taking outweighs the pain of taking action, you will take action. I mean, even writing my book, Fearvana, I was, I procrastinated a shit ton on writing that book. And what eventually had me finish it and now be something I'm damn proud of that's making an impact, was recognizing that one day I will die and imagine if I die, never having shared my message with the world. Like, And I, and I actually got pretty deep in visceral of that experience. Being present to our own mortality, coming close to our own death, either in our mind or in my, my case, my lifestyle has me confronted a good bit, it will change the way you live your life, right? So what's the pain that is greater? And if you want to choose that, then do it consciously. Got it. Like, okay, if I'm choosing this path, then own it. Right. So you have to, but then, and then part of that process is when you choose the path, obviously it'll be hard. You will struggle. You will suffer. You will go through hard times. You will feel fear. You will feel pain. Right. But that's where that inner work comes in. That's where it's going, doing the inner work to face your demons, to go to war with yourself, to put yourself in, in Mm. tough situations that this version of you doesn't think you can handle. I always like to say belief is built on the battlefield. You don't have to believe in yourself to take action. That's why I'm not a giant fan of this kind of overwhelming focus on conquering limiting beliefs. Uh, Who cares what your limiting beliefs are? Just go into the arena. Sometimes we need to be a lot more like a bull in a china shop. Just run into shit, break shit, bleed, suffer, you know, get a little hurt, get a little cut, mental, like either either, either sort of viscerally, physically, or even mentally, you know, through those quote-unquote emotional scars. But when you do that, when you leap into the arena, that's where the lessons happen. The greatest lessons are in the doing. And in that process, as you go to war with yourself, you build yourself into someone new. It's not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. Creation happens through action.
0: The way, the way you talk about it too is is it's clear you're very familiar with change. And I, I love the anecdote to everyone's rock bottom is different. E- even just the idea of rock bottom, right? You, we largely get to choose, mm-hmm. when am I done? And I, I'm reminded of these moments where I could perpetuate this cycle. Yeah. Or I could choose not to. And usually I get caught up in well, just just one more or it's not that bad. And I'm I'm eager to solve and figure out for for everyone that's listening who's on the pursuit of more, like you actually get more by going through these these changes and these struggles and these challenges and if belief is in fact built on the battlefield then at some point we've just got to confront the fact that our tolerance is a problem it, like i hear that in so many ways in the way that you share that the more we tolerate rather than choosing what we want the longer this mm, maybe unyielding or or the longer this unsatisfactory struggle takes place.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a great point because I think the the biggest thing that stops people from leaping it out into that action, into the unknown, is that the devil you know is greater than the devil you don't. So oh. we'll stay oh, yeah. in this reality because it, it kind of sucks. But you know what? It's okay. I mean evolutionary speaking it makes sense, right? Evolutionary speaking, it makes sense because you got to think about it this way. The brain's number one focus is to keep us alive. So if I'm staying in a, a reality, it's not great, but I'm alive. Got it. But if I go out there into the unknown, that's scary, right? From an evolutionary perspective, the unknown means potential death, right? If you look at it from archaic times, there's a saber to tiger, whatever. There's an animal that could kill me, right? Like evolutionary speaking. But that's literally why the unknown is so scary because that's what, that's the, the nature of the unknown. There's things out there that you don't know. So we don't want to go into those spaces. So we'll stay in a kind of quiet desperation because at least it's, it could be worse. But that's, that's the thing you got to face through. And the more you do it, the more you'll build a pattern to keep doing it because it's once, you know, the, the thing is, even if life is good, there's always more. There's more life to experience. There's more service to be done. There's more people to, to help. There's more, you know, to do more to be. So the, the way out there, there's greater awe out there. There's always a greater bliss. So that's why I'm seeking. And the way to start shifting that relationship to the unknown is approach it with curiosity. Approach it with play. Like even when, I, when I'm when i planning this 110-day solo crossing of Antarctica, people often ask me, you know, what's next? Who are you going to be on the other side of it? I don't know who I'm going to be. How can I possibly know? <laughs> How when you could you know? 110 days alone out there. But what makes me so excited is the curiosity. But the number one vir- virtue, the number one virtue you must master, and Maya Angelou says this too, courage is not just one of the virtues, it's the most important of virtues. Because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. You can only practice Mm. it erratically. So the thing is, you can hear a podcast, you can read a book, you can do all this stuff over and over and over again. You can go to seminar, this and the other thing. But ultimately, you got to go to war with yourself. You got to do something you've never done before to go somewhere you've never been before, to experience something you've never had before. And that means it's going to be scary. And that means you're going to have to train in courage. I was, as I said earlier, I wasn't always this way. I was scared of everything. So you, you start by systematically Doing little things that scare you. And the more you do it, the more you, it doesn't mean the fear goes away, but fear is not sure. a bad thing, right? The more you develop a healthy relationship with fear, the more you develop a healthy relationship with courage. And then the more you're more able to keep playing on that edge to find else what else is, what else grand treasures await out
0: there in the unknown, you know? The walk across Antarctica to me represents such a physical lens of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, your, Likely, uh, I don't know for sure because I haven't prepared at all for something (laughs) like that. But in my mind, right, the conditions are harsh enough where your sure-footedness is one at a time. It's this next step. Mm -hmm. That's the the battle. Mm -hmm. Then it's the next step. Mm -hmm. That's the battle. And certainly you want to have a map. You want to have a long-term. You want to have a destination. You want to know what could be up ahead. But underneath all that, is, is that a... Is your mindset going into this step-by-step? Is it the whole image? Like There's a lot of unknowns crossing a giant continent made of ice.
1: (laughs) You know, when when you're planning any big mission, whether it be crossing Antarctica or anything else, the key is to have the vision in the back of the mind, but then you reduce it to the smallest wins. One of my many mantras is make your world small, right? I can't be thinking about 110 days in Antarctica. That is overwhelming. 1,700 miles dragging a 400-pound sled that's, that would be like soul-crushing at the prospect, let alone the fact that it's never been done before, right? Even when I'm training, if I'm going out for eight hours of tire dragging, I can't be thinking about hour eight. Hour one is hard enough, you know? So you gotta make your world small and then focus on the next reality and then stack the wins. We build that confidence, we build that self-worth by stacking the wins by doing hard things by showing we can honor our, our own word but it's that's part one of it is like confidence is built on the battlefield too right confidence is the fuel is is the result of action not the fuel for action we often say just be confident as you take action if you've never done something before you can't be confident how will you be confident so the goal is not to be confident it's to be courageous you take action and then you build you then you get confident by building the skill set in whatever the craft you are training in Or even in just in the mental battlefield, you build that skill set. So part one is doing the hard thing, honoring your word. But the second part of that is how you talk to yourself after the hard thing is done. And this was a big learning for me because I used to be someone, I would run 10 miles and be pissed off I didn't run 13. I would run 13 and be mad at myself for not running 20, right? And there's no end to that. And you're constantly miserable. Now, I do, like when I go out for an hour and a half tire dragging session, awesome, nice work. And that's it. Sometimes it's literally as simple as just a little stack celebrate the win got well, it well now we'll move on to the next one right so i'm always it's but but the duality can coexist on the one hand i am looking for what's the gap to fix i'm always looking for the gap to fix and on the other hand i'm also celebrating the wins they both can coexist and that's how the ma- that per- the pursuit of mastery continues when you play on both those edges and keep working working moving forward through that through that lens right because all growth is ultimately two things find what's working and do more of it find the problem fix the problem
0: at a meta yeah. level
1: that's all it is And that's what you got to keep doing in your craft, in whatever
0: you're training at. It's interesting to hear it so simple. (laughs) And lately, one of the pillars that I tend to to live by, whether that be in like my understanding of what it means to lead others, or in my personal pursuits, is that there's a very big difference between simple and easy. Pulling that sled might be a very simple thing to take a step is simple, but that doesn't necessarily make it easy. When, when I think of getting out of my own way, I think it's very simple. Like we tend to know that we got to change some shit about ourselves. We tend to know that we're not acting our best. Mm-hmm. We, we tend to understand that we're putting restrictions on what we want. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's the turning point for us to be like, look, it isn't going to be easy. I'm just going to accept that. Is there a, is there a moment because the transition for us to go from this is an idea this is an idea really is this projection of all this fear it's only when we accept that it's it's it is scary mm-hmm. and it is going to be hard that i feel we can move forward through it
1: yeah the acceptance of that you know the acceptance of all kind of isness there's it's the resistance of isness that creates Tremendous unnecessary suffering. And what I mean by (laughs) that is, so let's say I'm like, I worked with a client, for example. He used to get anxiety every time he would sit on his computer to write a book and he'd feel anxiety. Now everybody would be like, okay, how do we make the anxiety go away? And came to me and my whole thing is we're not, our goal, our initial goal is not to make the anxiety go away because right now you don't control it. You've created a pattern that says sitting on the computer equals anxiety. We all have patterns of how our brain reacts to external stimuli. So right now you don't control that pattern once it's been ingrained. So instead of trying to resist that, we're just going to be with it. Got it, I'm feeling anxiety. Neuroscience has actually shown that when you label an emotion, it reduces activity in the limbic brain and the emotional parts of the brain and increases activity in the part of the brain related to focus and awareness. So you can create a space between the emotion and you as the feeler of that emotion. And now you can do something in that space. So his pattern used to be sit on the computer, feel anxiety, retreat from the anxiety, go watch TV, numb it all out. Now, all right, got it. We're going to sit on the computer. We're going to feel the anxiety. We're going to pause. I'm feeling the anxiety. I'm feeling the anxiety. I'm just going to look at the computer for a minute. I'm just going to write for a minute, even if two words come out. Got it. Next time we'll do it for two minutes, then three, then five, then so on and so forth. Right. So it's the, it's not resisting the isness of whatever shows up on that journey. We're all gonna have different relationships to when fear shows up, you know? I mean, I do some of the craziest shit in the world, but dude, I felt more scared going on a date with my now wife, with the first and second dates, than I do doing the insanely hard things I do. And the, but the thing is, I don't, there was a time in my life where I'd be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you scared? You know, trying to fight that fear, or like, or not even admit that I had that fear because it felt like, oh, I don't wanna admit I'm weak or something. I don't care that the fear is there. I just do not care when fear is there. Got it, it's there, I'm scared. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm terrified of this date. I had literally butterflies in my stomach driving to <laughs> driving to the second date. And I do some of the craziest shit a human being can do. And But who cares? I felt I felt scared, right? So the point is the fear is gonna show up to different people in different ways. Other people might be extremely comfortable going on a date and feel terrified doing some of the things I do. But who cares when it shows up? I don't even bother to ask why or what is there. God, It's there. Who do I want to be instead? Instead, I'm going to focus on who I yeah. want to be—the person that's the highest version of me. Create that. All right, cool. I'm going to go into the fear a little bit. I'll go on this date. We'll see what happens. Right? Curiosity, play, and other incredibly important virtues to practice. When you find yourself looking at something instead of judging it, like instead of demonizing it, be curious about it. Got it. The fear is there. You know, as even when in terms comes to learnings, like me and my uh, me and my my now wife, we we we've, we've openly told people we're never going to fight. We've never fought, we never will fight. I can't tell you how many people got triggered by this and would be like, yeah, bullshit, you're naive, something or the (laughs) other. And cool, if it triggers you, that's not the problem. The problem is, what do you do with that trigger? You can choose to just be like, they're stupid, or you can choose to be curious. What do you mean? How can you make that happen, right? That's how you learn, be curious. Be curious in in the world, and it opens up new possibilities. So don't resist the isness and then be curious of what to do with that and then translate it into something purposeful.
0: What I'm hearing, and I think interpreting through the way that you share this too, is that this is an incremental process like there's there's too much that would bury somebody and would paralyze you uh Many of us get trapped in the analysis of all of these changes when we're identifying how exciting they'd be and how epic it would be to have a different life but really what i'm what I hear in the way that you share this is that. This isn't about being superhuman and having a, a rocky exterior that's indomitable or, or unstoppable. Instead, it's it's almost being strategic against yourself uh, to not be your biggest problem by making this change so big, but instead to say, where can I start today? Can I get some uh, some blood on my shirt? Mm-hmm. And then can I continue that small incremental change in process? I'm curious where you've hit the wall. because. You're, you're taking on some big, big, big stuff. When have you hit the wall and been like, okay, that was too big of a change?
1: Constantly, man. Like I'm constantly playing on new edges, and I get hurt doing it. I've gotten heat exhaustion. I've got hypothermia. I've lost two fingers to frostbite. You know. (laughs) But the thing is, the only way you're gonna find where that line is by actually playing on those edges of the line. And sometimes you'll get a little hurt, emotionally, physically. Like even in the relationship realm, you know, I I I got divorced after nine years of a great marriage because, without going too deep into the story, because it's not my entirely my story to share my ex-wife got caught up in a cult and our marriage ended like a crazy way that it ended broke my sobriety i've been in a couple of small like small relationships since then before now meeting melissa and it's very easy to be scared of a relationship because i could be hurt right and so people and i've seen this happen a ton with the relationship arena i'm I'm so scared of how it went in the past i don't want to be hurt anymore but the thing is you got to be willing to leap and, and like and and get hurt It's that fear of I don't want to get hurt that'll have a stay in that little kind of, you know, that, that quiet desperation, but you leap. And I, and that's why I went all into this relationship. I mean, we got married, we got engaged in two months and we got married in less than six months. The only way to play life is all out. And when you play all out, you will get emotionally hurt. You will get physically hurt from, especially if you do the things I do, but, who gives a shit, man? You, it also makes life a, that much more exciting. The more, the, the, the more you know the abyss, the more you know the darkness, the greater you know the light. We think in references. We operate in references. So yes, you will feel pain. But the more you know pain, the greater you can experience joy right? it's That's, that's how lo- the human condition operates in a very visceral way. You know, I did that darkness retreat where I spent seven days and then 10 days in complete darkness and isolation. And when I came out of the dark, and when I saw the world for the first few moments, I had never seen the light of the world look that bright. I'd never seen the luminosity wow. of the light with that much power. And in such a visceral way, I remember thinking gratitude for all the suffering I've ever experienced in life, knowing that I could not ever truly know the gift of the light until I have first been in the dark. So you gotta be willing to get hurt. And that means you're gonna hit some walls, you're gonna fall, literally and figuratively, and that's okay. Then you will rise. It's in the falling that you get to rise, you know? And even when I got the frostbite and I lost two fingers, I felt so much gratitude because the value of that is, now when I go back to Antarctica, I have to be that much more perfect what a gift, right? When you're put in your, when you're put yourself in a situation that demands you to be the, perf- the, the highest version of yourself, that demands perfection out of you, and you have to rise to that standard, what an epic opportunity, right? So gratitude, I got frostbite, great. I'm going to go back into the arena and see what happens next time, you know? And obviously, you don't go in foolishly, like I'm not an idiot. I train incredibly hard for this. But the point is, you, you get hurt and you're gonna fall a little bit, but then you get back out of the arena. And in the rising, there's a new opportunity. There's a new learning. You can't have new solutions without new problems. So one of my other many mantras is progress is not the elimination of problems. Progress is the creation of new problems. We will always have problems, whether we have $0, a billion dollars, single relationship, whatever, you, whatever the thing is, whatever the category is, we'll always have problems. But that's okay, because on the other side of every problem is a new solution, is a new awakening. So look for that next gap. And you'll find a new, new tool, new, new edge. You probably get hurt along the way, but that's
0: okay. In, in, in a way, I feel like this is encouraging me to really redefine my relationship with hurt as a critical part of growth. Like, if I'm willing to, if I'm willing to endure it, the hurt, then the the fear, the, the fear becomes irrelevant in a way. I'm not so worried about getting hurt. I can just focus on the doing and accept and tolerate. They're like, okay. I mean, I don't know that I really feel super excited about losing fingers, but <laughs> it doesn't matter if I got. <laughs> you know, you got to do what you got to do. But but like, there's something about that relationship with hurt that that I look back on and I can say that a lot of my deepest mistakes or regrets, even all the way down to the things that i avoided for the longest simply were about avoiding hurt mm. and it was it was a pain that magnified the longer i avoided it yeah absolutely
1: absolutely you know the greatest way out is through whatever the whatever the thing is whatever the hurt is the greatest way out is through you move through it and you'll find peace on the other side as well as the journey once you learn to embrace the hurt of that
0: journey man i i'm Buzzing with energy to think about, like, where can I go get hurt? Which is probably not the best response to this, <laughs> but almost to say, okay, how can I? You want to insulate that a little bit and say, let me, let me moderate the level of hurt that I can experience. But I, I do think we like overinflate this stuff in our head all the time. If we want to start a new business or pitch a new idea uh-huh. or get a sale or or quit your job, like the the hurt that we imagine is death That that's like what comes to mind but it's not real that that's like the number one lesson I'm learning sitting here in front of you today is that none of that's real
1: yeah the anticipation of pain is often worse than when you actually go through it like I can't <laughs> tell you how many times that like I've, I've been more dreading a tire dragging session and when it's finally done I'm like oh cool I wasn't too bad. I've been through worse, you know? So, uh, yep. but it's the anticipation of pain. And to your point, you know, it's not just about suffering for the sake of suffering. I'm not saying go do something stupid. All my things are very calculated. And sometimes I don't know the degree of pain I'm going to experience on the other side of this edge, but but they're calculated as I step into that new edge, you know? So, you're pushing yourself in a way that is controlled in the way that's relatively safe, of course, but mm-hmm. with intelligence and choosing your worthies like not every I'm not saying Antarctica is the only vehicle for enlightenment or growth, obviously right like find your edge that's the whole thing is look for your edge and your edge also doesn't just mean in the category of pain and suffering as an example, I talked about dating, you know, but I was somebody who like we would go to a retreat and they would do all these kind of dancing and light things between breaks. I would be more uncomfortable doing that shit than doing like a 100 burpees in the corner, you know? Because I had developed such a healthy, uh, a strong relationship with that suffering, but I had developed such a negative relationship to play, to fun, to light things, to the point Mm. that even one day when I went for a run, I saw this sign that said 5K fun run. And I had visceral disgust at the idea of a fun run, like subconscious angst that like, this is ridiculous. You don't run for fun. You run to suffer, right? And that wasn't healthy. That was not a good thing. So when I I realized that I was bringing in suffering in all areas of my life because I'd gotten so comfortable suffering. So what I then do is I go play on the other edge. I went on play on the edge of play. I started running without tracking my mileage. I started doing more light things like singing, like dancing, being more light and playful when I'm driving in the car. So at any point in life, I look for an edge of one particular duality. And what I mean by that is in life there's a series of dualities that encompass the human human experience. Pain and pleasure, ego humility, uh stress recovery, right? Masculine feminine, light dark, life death. All of these contradictory Polarizing kind of forces that we view as opposite. That we, and then we often view one side as bad. Stress is bad. The darkness is bad. Fear is bad. But neither side is bad. Neither side is good. Coming back to the point I made earlier about accepting the isness of things without judging it, without ascribing a, a label of bad or good, they both can coexist and they both must coexist. And when you play on the other edge, you're expanding your references as to what's possible. And you're going into places that you didn't know, because each of us, as we were talking about earlier, to build on that, we don't know what we don't know. So we stay trapped on one side of every duality. Now, I'll always be someone who leans on the edge of suffering. If you look at the edge, the duality of suffering and play as a spectrum, I'll always be someone who leans on that edge of suffering. But now I'm doing it consciously, because I've gone to the other edge. So when I look, when I find a point of friction in my life, I'll see, okay, what's the, what's the thing that I don't know? Where am I, where am I staying comfortable and nestled into one particular edge? Got it. Let me go into the other edge and the inherent nature of going to the other edge. It will be extremely uncomfortable because you're comfortable on one edge. So it'll be extremely uncomfortable. Nothing I or anybody else can say can avoid that. But if you want to get somewhere you've never been, gotta go somewhere where you've never gone. Right. So you got to go to that edge. So I started doing more playful things now. I've evolved. Now I'm more playful. Now I'm more light. Now I bring play even to the hard things that I do. Not to mention, it's made life more fulfilling. You know, contrast is what gives life its flavor. It it makes life more fulfilling. It gives more, 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 more power to it, more awe to the human experience. When you know what it's like to really be without, you can appreciate what it's like to be with.
0: I'm reminded of the, the quote, no pain, no gain. Yeah. And I... I have really grown a disdain and a a dislike for that phrase mostly rooted in my own history. I I think as an athlete, I I sought pain without a purpose, without Mm -hmm, a lot of intention. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that later perpetuated into entrepreneurship where Mm -hmm. you just like subject yourself to all this really like resultless pursuit Mm -hmm. and put yourself in really unhealthy patterns because this hustle culture yeah. sort of is pervasive. And, and what that edge and duality share brings up is that the opposite side of like, hey, you, you can gain and it can be easy, which is recover. what I reconditioned myself to understand. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. I can gain a whole lot without yeah. any pain. This is great. Yeah. If you learn that, and I, I think I have learned that, that I can enjoy and I can thrive without suffering. Why then come back to suffering? What is it that suffering teaches that pleasure can't?
1: Because suffering is a training ground for self-transcendence. The inherent nature of suffering is that it's hard. It's that it sucks. It's suffering. Pleasure is inherently pleasurable. So the experiencing self, this version of the self, it's looking to feel good in the moment. It's easy to do the thing that is pleasurable. That's a nature of pleasure. When, when you're doing something that's hard, it sucks and you're going to want to escape it. The ability to transcend that feeling of wanting to escape it and keep moving forward in spite of it, that's transcendence. And to me, transcendence mm. is the highest. Like if, there, if there's one thing life is about, it's self-transcendence. I mean, even Abraham Maslow in the hierarchy of needs, it's actually not self-actualization that's the highest of needs. It's self-transcendence. And as Viktor Frankl said, self-actualization is a side effect of self-transcendence. And to me, another way to put it is that self-transcendence is the access point to God. So suffering is the way that you train yourself to transcend yourself, to transcend the limitations of your mind, your body, your your, your thoughts, your feelings, and rise above that to become someone Mm -hmm. higher, to be someone higher, right? So one aspect of it is, is that transcendence. The other is kind of what we've been saying is that the... The the, like If you stay trapped in your current reality, in your current way of thinking, in your current way of doing, you will keep getting more of the same results. If you want more, you want more money, you want more relationships, you want more experiences, you want more growth, you have to do something you've never done before. The inherent nature of doing something you've never done before is that it's uncomfortable because you've never done it. So I use the word suffering very intentionally, but call it what you want, Mm -hmm. challenge, difficult. The reason I use the word suffering extremely (laughs) um, consciously, as well as a, a lot, is because suffering feels harder than challenge or difficult or hard. So when I develop such a positive relationship with the word suffering, then when I hear things like hard or difficult, it feels like nothing. And words have power in shaping our experience of reality. So that's why I use the word suffering, but call another one if you want to, right? That's why you got to do the difficult thing. And again, the difficult thing is going to be different. For me, difficult was more was, was dancing at one point, whereas another person might find it more difficult to do burpees, right? So don't get caught in the, for some people doing the difficult thing might be relaxing, right? we are so trapped in, like you mentioned, yeah. the hustle culture, but it's coming back to the duality. Do we, we need to stress the body as well as the mind to grow, but we also need to recover. The body gets stronger when, in, in, in looking at the, the example of working out, the body actually gets stronger during the recovery process. Where during the stress process, you're actually tearing down the muscle, right? So it's the same thing. Right. You need to recover just as much as you need stress. So neither is bad or good. You need both. I feel like I need a lot more rest right now. <laughs> yeah, and there's times, and that's where self-awareness comes into play to know which one you need, you know? And then you, the more you do it, the more you will start to get to where, like, am I doing this because I'm feeling lazy? Am I doing this because I'm escaping from things? Like now I know the difference between I'm being lazy and I don't want to go tire dragging versus, you know what? Today, I actually do really need the recovery. I'm, I've am i done yeah. enough to know the difference. And sometimes I'm just being lazy, then I'm like, get your ass out the door and go do it. <laughs> Other times I know that, all right, hey, you know, I'm I re- actually, recovery will be better. Got it.
0: I'm going to take the recovery. How, how do you grapple then when that little sneaky voice back here starts to chime in? That, call it your negative Nancy, call it your... Little you call it a pessimistic uh, sort of ulterior version of yourself. When when it starts to show up and say to your rest day that is intentional mm-hmm. and that is well thought out, mm-hmm. that is birthed in self-awareness, and it's like you're not working hard enough, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you're not smart enough, you're not strong. like How do you grapple the enoughness that comes from... Experiencing both sides of this coin.
1: Great question. What I do is I allow that voice to have its say. So, got it. All right, let's let's like talk. Almost like you're talking to a different character. Like, a, like you and me are two separate, separate entities having a conversation. I'll do the same thing with my inside my head. It's very schizophrenic, but it works wonders. So, uh, I'll have this dialogue. Got it. All right, yeah. Say what you want to say. All right, cool. Like uh, I understand that you're you're you know you're saying all these things, and then I'll hear it, and then I'll then I'll make a conscious choice. Do I want to listen to it? We do not have to listen to our thoughts and our feelings. We are not our thoughts, we are not our feelings, we're not our experiences. We are the thinker of our thoughts, we are the feeler of our feelings, and we are the experiencer of our experiences. We all have thoughts and feelings that are neurotic. They change constantly. They are not who we are, right? Like I have a thought, a million thoughts a day, and sometimes it's not a thought that defines the highest version of myself, but just because I had that thought doesn't mean that's who I am. It doesn't mean I have to listen to it. So I allow that voice to have its say because that's really important. That comes back to resisting the isness that we talked about, right? So let it have its say. And then I talk to it like it's a separate entity. And actually, when I was in the darkness retreat, I started creating different characters in my head and I named them. I actually gave names to the different characters. So anytime I had a voice that said, you're too weak, like this is going to break you if I'm planning something like in the darkness, I wanted to do an extended fast. I named that character Bane. It's a great name. I, I really I love it. that. I, I, named, yeah, I named all my characters after villains in the superhero movies. So I would name, like <laughs> whenever I had a voice saying, oh shit, I can't wait for this to end, like related to time and anticipation, I named it Thanos. So now I'm having a conversation with Thanos. Got it. You want this to end. Why do you want it to end? Let's talk about this, you know? And then then sometimes you do different ways to shut that voice up. Sometimes it's literally... Got it. You can fuck right off. And I literally talk to myself that way. You, don't, you can say however you want to <laughs> say, you know, come up with your own version of that. But you're letting that voice have its expression without resisting it. And then you can choose outside of it. And then I literally like, dude, this morning while tire dragging, I was feeling a bit stressed, overwhelmed. I'm planning multiple expeditions. Things are going everywhere. I'm trying to navigate the stresses of fundraising for Antarctica. Antarctica and my, I was just feeling like this anger. Some people are not responding when they should be responding to things. And I was like, all right, just, hey, let, all right, go wild. What's, what's, what's going on? Let's just, you, you, you keep talking. And all right, got, got pissed off, got it. I'm feeling all this shit and we, we expressed it. You know, I don't, like, who do I want to be outside of this? None of these thoughts are inherently real. I don't have to let them shape my reality. I let them have their say. I let them experience myself for a minute. Got it. Now what am I going to do with it, right? So to your point, in the example you brought up, if you've made this decision to rest very consciously and you're noticing that voice show up, you decide whether you want to listen to it or not. But that comes with practice of separating from your thoughts as real and disidentifying from. The constructs that create
0: our reality as our reality. Another another interesting arrowhead pointing straight at your relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not that you don't have a voice. I don't ever expect to have a voice. It's my relationship with it mm-hmm. that matters. How much? How much say exactly. I give that? Exactly. You know, I I also think of. So, our framework inside of a lot of our coaching programs and and what we've seen in a lot of entrepreneurships is the pursuit of something that ultimately is exciting, but it comes from a place of lack. It's from a place of, I need to prove this or show the world this. This was my drive for like 25, maybe 26 years, probably Mm -hmm. 30. Mm -hmm. And those three pillars in our world are worthiness, enoughness, and love of, lovableness, lovability. And, and I think I've struggled probably in, in business with enoughness, right? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I sharp enough? All that. But then when I think about some of the big, big, big dreams that I have and, and some of the conversations I've had with many, many, many very successful people who also struggle, it goes to worthiness and feeling like we are worth the dreams that we have or worth the beautiful moments that we've created or worth the rest or worth the, the pause and the respite and the recovery. When, when you talk about uh, this, this both spans the relationship space that I want to dig into with you and the pursuit of this, this gigantic dream. Like, have you, have you ever had that worthiness snake? bite you when it comes to chasing a dream like this? I mean, this is like a once-in-humanity kind of dream. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think uh, that, like, I think most human beings have often heard the two greatest fears are the fear of not belonging and the fear of not being enough. And my whole take on it is, good, own it. If you have some of it, Mm. instead of coming back to the avoidance of resistance, you know, and this is where the duality comes into play. I can feel not worthy and also feel worthy. So I can look at where... But that comes with tremendous self-awareness to have the ability to hold two seemingly contradictory thoughts in the mind at the same time and hold both as true, right? This is coming back to the essence of non-dualism. This is the duality. This is the spiritual mastery is that yin-yang, that darkness and light can coexist. In a very visceral way, I experienced this when I sat in a dark room, and the brightest light I've ever—literally, the brightest light I've ever seen in my entire life was sitting in a dark room. It was so bright and mm. it was blinding. I was holding, covering my eyes like this. So in a very visceral way, I saw how darkness and light can coexist. So coming back to the question of that worthiness, like I genuinely believe that I have a debt, to owe this, to, a debt to pay off to earn this life I've been gifted. Because like as an example, when I was in Iraq, my vehicle drove over an active bomb that didn't explode. My friend's vehicle drove over a bomb that exploded and he was killed. I was, bl- sure. I was born to great parents. As a result, I've been blessed with a million times more opportunities than most on earth. I've seen, survive, I've worked with survivors of sex trafficking, former child soldiers, I've been in post-conflict zones, I've been in war, have volunteered in leper colonies, seen people in extreme poverty. And all of those people, they were there because they were born there. They did nothing to deserve it. They, they were born into hell that I wasn't born into. As a result, I was blessed with a million times more opportunities than most. Now, yes, I've worked hard to get here, of course, but I got very lucky in that pool. I don't know why. We can all we can f- find answers to it. But to me, because I was so lucky and I didn't do shit to deserve that, I believe I owe a debt for this life. And I pay it off by being worthy of this life, by being worthy of my suffering, by being worthy of these gifts that I were given and then transcending it for myself, for my highest self, as well as to be of service. Now look, I'm not saying that you have to think the way I think. I can't tell you how many people say that it's unhealthy that I think that way. I don't care if you think it's unhealthy or not. The point is not that. The point is that darkness, that feeling that we all have, we all have our own flavor of it, of not being worthy, of not being enough. Find a way to use it into a construct and turn it into a belief system and a paradigm that will serve you. This place that I go to when I need to, that I have a debt to owe, man, that is a powerful place to go when I need to access it but I don't always live there. I also live in tremendous gratitude. One of my friends has told me that your superpower is gratitude because dude, I am always grateful for what I have because I also know what it's like to be without. You know, uh, I've I've, done, I've been in extreme cold, I've been in extreme heat, I've been alone, I've been uh, with people I love. And so every edge, because I know one edge, I have so much like to, to this day, man. There'll be nights when I go out and look at the night sky and just feel gratitude for stars because when I'm in Antarctica, I won't get a night sky for four months. It's 24 hours daylight. I won't get a sunrise. I won't get a sunset. So when mm. you play on an edge, like just take a five day fast and tell me how good that food eats that food tastes when you when you start eating again, right? Do do things like that. Take a cold tub. Tell me how good it feels to be warm again. You know, so it makes you appreciate. So the point is. I don't just live in that space of the debt I owe of my lack of worth. I also operate from that space. You can operate from both simultaneously and make both work. But I don't think the idea that we're not worthy or not enough is inherently bad. I think it can be useful when you make it useful.
0: I could see that applying to relationships too, where it's especially in entrepreneur land and especially for my men listening that are entrepreneurs, there's this production and provision that is certainly a, a big part of being in the hustle and constantly having to prove that we are worthy. And, and naturally, it ties into lovability too. I, I, I find that when worthiness has been my Achilles, what I'm, what I'm ultimately telling myself is that I, I don't deserve good things and that I deserve to suffer. And and that language has been really interesting to play with over the last several years where I've really worked on it and had to start to question, am I choosing this suffering? Is this the suffering that I want? Yeah. Or is this something I can opt out of? Is there a different kind of suffering? And also, am I choosing something that here's here's where it gets really interesting, that I think I'm saying I'm not worthy of this, so I'm going to choose something uh, at a lower standard yeah. when really I just want to be above a person and like that's been a trippy space to to really navigate my ego in that yeah. to understand my hurt my flaws and to to try to weave between the lines of the, the duality that you're talking about you recently went from like single all the way through all the spectrums and have built a really stable, healthy relationship that ultimately, from the outside looking in, seems that both of you feel very worthy of a partner that is adding to the relationship, that is contributing to the goals and dreams that the other person has, and that is like, it's like both of you are looking up at one another. Mm. How, how do you think worthiness plays into to your way of constructing something like that?
1: Yeah, great question. You know, the, so to that point of what you said, you shouldn't just live in if everything you're doing is sort of that I need to prove I'm worthy. There might be some issues there. So this is where self awareness comes into play, and this is where stillness comes into play. You know, to be still to figure out some of those answers. So I do believe I'm worthy of this relationship. Uh, and I, I know she does too, you know, so we work hard. We've worked hard at the relationship with ourselves and we work hard to, we, we, it's very easy actually the relationship with her, but we work to, to be that supportive for each other. So I think, you know, we've done a lot of, we both have brought, done a lot of inner work to bring to our relationship with ourselves. It doesn't mean we're, we none of us are far from, you know, not perfect, obviously, but we have an incredibly strong relationship with ourselves that we bring to the relationship with the other. And so there wasn't even a doubt in our worthiness of it. Like if, you know, at this point now, we've developed such a high sense of self-worth that has been earned uh, through the inner work that we've done that if, let's say, for example, and not this would not that this would ever happen, we have the strongest relationship in the world. It's a, I would call it literally a perfect relationship. We never fight. But let's say, for example, she cheated on me. Or let's say, for example, I cheat on her. Both of us would know that the, it's the other, like we would be hurt, but there would be a kind of a knowing that there's a loss for the other person because we value how much we bring to this. You know, we yeah. know that we are, we are bringing a strong self. We are there for the other person. So we have a strong, healthy relationship with the self that we bring to the other. But again, that comes from doing a tremendous amount of inner work that we both have done. Uh, uh, that's why we value who we are. We value who we bring to the relationship. And that's why we have something incredibly strong.
0: W- would you say that, this is a, a big word, but, but would you say that both of you are whole?
1: I think the, the, uh, the feeling of being whole, uh, there's like, you know, I've done a life coaching program where they would always say we're all whole and complete. I find it more valuable to operate from the paradigm that we're all broken and who gives a shit. So uh, my t- I with that. Yeah, because, you know, because I, when, I, when, I, when we heard that paradigm, everybody, everybody in the coaching program would be like, okay, we're all whole and complete, but then why do we have all this shit? Right? Where all we have all this shit. So I think we're all broken, and who cares? How do we make? How like there's the great Japanese art. There's a name to it where they paint the gold in the cracks. Right, there's the gold is in the cracks. I've gone through physical and emotional scars, as you have, as everybody has. We've gone through our stuff in life, and then it's created some paradigms that maybe serve us, that maybe don't. We've all got our shit. Who cares? What am I going to do with it? So this comes back to the fundamental thing of. It doesn't really matter what has happened in the past. It doesn't really matter. None of that shit matters. All that matters is what are you going to do with it in the now and how you're going to use it to better your future, right? And so you mm. take all that crap. We use it was broken. So I don't consider myself whole. I don't consider, like, I consider myself, I'm very content with who I am. I'm very happy with who I am. I love who I am. But I also know there's so much more to grow. That's why I go play on new edges because I can't wait to see what the hell I'll find out there. You know, and that, so I will never arrive until the day I die. I will never arrive, and that's to, that's to me what makes life exciting.
0: Mm. Yeah, that that Japanese art form is called kintsugi, uh, otherwise known as like golden repair. And I think that's that is such a great example, right? Throw throw the glass on the on the ground. Everyone's broken. Everyone's hurting. Everyone's got. Things that they messed up on, and it, to me that 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 paints um, the idea of being whole as actually more human. Whole has an implication of of being perfect and being. Yeah. I, I just I really struggle with that. Yeah. Versus this idea, like, let, hey, let's take our broken pieces and weave them together with exactly. gold. To me, and, it's more and free. Line them. Yeah. 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 I'm as imperfect as. I have known myself to be as I grow. I I find even further imperfection, and find further beauty in that's just me. So I I, I do love that. That's a great reminder. If you if you don't know the word uh, kintsugi, it's K I N T S U G I. Beautiful, beautiful thing to look up and Google. And and actually, some of the coolest art you could find, yeah, is that. Yeah, there's some cool shit out there. Um. Okay, here, this, is a, this is a pointed question, and I, I try not to, to ask pointed questions, but Please I, I, I want to see how you respond to this. Why is the pursuit of more? Mm, I'll use the word noble.
1: It's the seeking that makes the human experience the uh, value, right? And you call it what you want. It's more can be relative. You, you can say, I don't want more money. I'm very content here. Got it. I want more experiences with my partner i want more spiritual growth more is very relative but the 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 duality of that is the the seeking the, the more is not going to get you happy it's the seeking where that where the value lies right but you need the seeking you need the target because that's what makes i mean we're all time is moving whether we like it or not we're all here what are we going to do in the here and the now of this experience and it's seeking and seeking could simply be I'm seeking to be more present in each moment. But there's always a seeking. There's a seeking whether you consciously seek it or not. So instead of, (laughs) it's always happening. So instead of trying to sort of, demonize the search for more as inherently bad and of course it can be bad there's many for people like to as we've talked about as you know as you've experienced in your work we're just doing more to escape something to run away from some demon because we think that we should get more because the world tells us that's what we should do but that's where it comes back to doing that in our work to recognize that all right I, maybe this is not the, more, the flavor of more that i want that i truly want that's truly gonna make me happy and sometimes you learn that by actually getting more and being like shit i didn't really get what i want there but other times you know you you but the, once you more do more of that work you realize that it's the seeking that is the that's the that's the fulfillment i mean even research has shown the two things that create a truly fulfilling and happy life is connection it's the relationships that we have and it's the pursuit of your purpose or what i like to call your worthy struggle so connection and the pursuit of your worthy struggle and i call your worthy struggle very intentionally because it will be hard right like you will struggle I don't like it's it's good to have passion for what you do, but I don't like the word follow your passion because it often conveys this idea that everything will be sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. It won't be. Yes. You'll struggle. There's days where I absolutely struggle with what I do. Right. It's very, very hard training for an Antarctic expedition, but I freaking love it, right? So it's the pursuit of purpose and connection that make us happy. You fill full you fill those two buckets and yeah, life will not be easy, but you will find bliss even in the pain right? Like I love what I do. And I'm and many, I'm not saying one should do it. That's my worthy struggle. But there's many, if they pursue what I do, they're going to be miserable, right? And there's many, if I do what they do, I'm going to be miserable. So you find your worthy struggle, you find connection in that path. And that seeking will bring you joy. I might not make it across Antarctica, being that I just can't like, I just can't pull off that distance. I'll have no regrets about the desire to pursue that journey right? I've failed multiple times in different things. I've lost money. I've failed in business elements. I've not hit summits that I've aimed for while mountain climbing. But I have no regrets for the pursuit because the pursuit has helped build me into who I am.
0: Which is ultimately enjoying the process. Though I think we mix that up with like, you got to enjoy every moment. That that isn't it. It's the the aggregate of it all. Do you feel fulfilled in that. Exactly,
1: yeah, because some moments are gonna really freaking suck, and that's okay. <laughs> but it's, you, can't have a, you can't have a summit without a valley. So when that suck shows up, the key is learning to find gratitude in that suck. There's a Latin phrase the Stoics used called amor fati, love fate. Can you love fate even when fate is not smiling at you? And that to me is one of the most important skills to master. The way I like to put it is to suffer well. Because if you can smile in the face of suffering, if you can smile at the storms that life throws your way, You'll be able to enjoy life no matter how hard it gets, no matter how good it is. You'll be able to find beauty in the human experience and bliss in the human experience, even when you're being battered by the storms of life.
0: Yeah, in, in many ways, the I'm feeling like the ultimate nod to the brand that you've created and, and who you represent yourself as on a regular day-to-day basis is to enjoy the shitty moments almost more <laughs> than the good ones.
1: Yeah. And then th- that's still a learning for me. Is to like I was in Iceland on an expedition last year and there was a moment where the skiing was feeling really easy because I was going kind of downhill, even though my sled was heavy. And then I was kind of having fun with it. I was feeling this is really easy. And then I go oh, you shouldn't have fun with this. It's not, be don't, don't get too used to easy. And I was like, no, wait, that's a stupid way of thinking. I can enjoy both the easy and the hard, right? So the goal is to, to find the beauty in all of it. Like easy is not inherently bad. Too much easy is bad. Too much comfort is bad. We've also gotten kind of in a world, I see some people be like, comfort is all bad. No, comfort is not all bad. It's a beautiful thing to be comfortable. But if you're comfortable all the freaking time, that's going to be a problem. So comfort is not inherently the enemy. Uh, easy is not inherently the enemy it's coming back to the duality easy and hard, comfort and discomfort should and must
0: coexist yeah i i I really appreciate the duality that you're you've laid out in almost every example there is a a duality component to it absolutely that that I appreciate who is helping you through your changes? I, I think change is a team game and it relies on us having a a clear parameter of what kind of change we're looking for. But it, there's a lot of people that are a part of the village that that is change. Mm-hmm. So who's on the squad behind the scenes that we might not know about that really, really helps you navigate the moments of suffering or those little voices that yeah. uh, you're having a dialogue with in the kitchen?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm blessed with an army of people in my corner. I mean, obviously now my now wife, uh, she's the one most present. I live with her and her support is unwavering and unreal. Uh, I have great parents who support me. Unreal are friends. I mean, as you know, the tribe here is just the most incredible group of people ever. Yes, I have is. friends that support me in every category of my life, from my nutrition to my training to my uh, <laughs> to my to my polar skills. I have polar friends and polar mentors so i mean even in the example of my antarctic expedition you know i'll be alone on the ice for 110 days but i couldn't do what i do without the army of people who make it possible like even you've contributed to that journey and you know and which i'm so grateful for and i so appreciate and so it it takes an army to make grand things happen and uh from my wife to everyone else in my corner and you know it, it, this is a key thing for somebody listening is surround yourself with people like that if you don't have people like that put yourself in rooms where you'll meet higher by people my wife went to a place called optimize where they do cold tubs and saunas and like biohacking and very like high vibe people knowing that there are probably some high vibe people who are who are here who are coming here and the owner is a good friend of mine she through she, through him we met right here we are so if you don't and some look if as you're evolving you might lose some people along the way i have you know, and that's okay. But your tribe will up-level and then you will up-level. And now we have, as you know, from our collective tribe here, some of the most incredible human beings on earth. That's the reason I'm in Scottsdale for there are these tribe here is like family, you know, and we support each other in being yeah.
0: better. Yeah, there are some really good, I, I've I've been really, in just a year and a half, really pleased with the caliber of human beings, caliber of entrepreneurs, the caliber of creatives. Yeah. it's uh, it's uh, It's been really spectacular mm-hmm. as a guy from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess one thing that stands out in, in the way that you describe that too is you know, you want to be around these people. And sometimes we think that we're just gonna like bump into them in our casual everyday experiences. And and I, I think that's one of the biggest lies in the world of personal development, is that you're just going to find these people. They're, they're just going to stumble on them. Yeah, It sounds like Melissa was very intentional. Very. But I, I, I very much believe in paying for friends. And obviously not paying for friendship. I understand what but you're saying. But sometimes you got to pay to get in the room. Exactly. Sometimes you got to pay to get, you know, join a program or exactly. or join a community or mastermind. What have been some ways that you've intentionally changed the people around you to help you through your changes?
1: I mean, to that point, paying like, I went to uh, Yannick Silver, who's now a friend of mine. He has this program. Oh, I know Yannick. Yeah, great guy. Uh, He had a program called Camp Maverick, right? This high-level camp for entrepreneurs. I went there, paid obviously to go there. Through that, I met one of my greatest friends now, our mutual friend, Anthony Balduzzi, Who then introduced me to his crew, who's now become a part of my crew. And I met another great friend of mine today, Brad Hart. I met another business mentor and friend, Eric Lochtefeld, you know? So I put like that, that one event was a snowball that have been, that have led to some of the closest relationships in my life, you know? So through, you put yourself in rooms where you'll meet awesome people. And sometimes you won't necessarily, like I couldn't, even right after that event, I didn't necessarily know it would have the impact on my life that it does now, looking back at it. So you'll so. meet somebody that'd be like, Oh, that was a good friend. I don't know when I where it all go. But next thing you know, you look back on your life five years later and you're like, Holy shit. That one thing was the trigger that, you know, led to all these great changes. I mean, my tribe here is the reason I've moved to Scottsdale, right? I could be, I'm, I'm blessed with the kind of, with, I could work from anywhere. Uh, but I moved here because I have a great tribe here. And a lot of that kind of started with that event. And I met Yannick through, I can't remember what else, how I found Yannick. So yeah, I agree. Put yourself in high vibe places, you know, go to places where you know positive people will be who are seeking growth and improvement as you said like melissa was extremely intentional every week she said that she's going to go to some place that's where she meets high level people to find her person and she met my buddy michael who introduced us and here we
0: are it's crazy how how fast it can change exactly when exactly. you're when you're intentional about exactly yeah you know the the last thing i'll ask here just just as we kind of wrap up i think that your story has encouraged me to think about playing bigger. Mm. And that's language that we use in a couple of different communities that I'm involved in and some that I coach in. And the idea of playing bigger sounds really awesome, right? That we we all want to play big and, you know, dream big and and do all these things. And and I, I appreciate that. I also am a big believer in like play long. Play 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 the big long mm. game mm. also. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. not just go for these like Let's have a crush out quarter and sacrifice years because of it. Yeah. H- how do you how do you think about the difference between like go big or go home, that sort of like crush it, everything, macho, yes mentality versus the like, hey, I'm trying to do this for 50 years. I'm trying to do this for 100 years.
1: Yeah. You know, you got to be like, it, it comes back to the core essence of everything I've been saying, which I literally truly believe is the foundation for the spiritual mastery is that duality. Like, I can play big and in, in like now I have obviously this monstrous goal that nobody's ever done before, but I don't want to die doing it. You know, I don't want to, I want to be around for longer. So this is where the self-awareness comes into play. Like, okay, what is the long game? I could, for example, I mean, as an example, I could go run, 50 hundred milers to you know in the next 50 days or some shit and then blow out my knees forever or you know then okay got it but if, if this is the big game i want to play how do i play that game and still be around for longer you know so th- this comes back to a, another a, um a construct that doesn't serve you is this idea of either or you know so if you ever find yourself using an either or start asking the question both end so i always used to believe that i can only be an adventurer uh, or an entrepreneur i can't be both You know, or even like, how do I be an adventurer and be a great husband and have a great family life, have a great partner? You know, if you think either or start changing the question and then the question, the the questions we ask ourselves will change the answers we seek and ultimately the, the, how we create our own reality. Got it. How can I be both? As simple as that, right? How can I be both? So one simple action change that led to that when I started thinking about it was I started doing all my work calls while running. Or now while tire dragging, you know? So got it. How can I be both? I can, I can structure my life a little differently. I can structure my life more effectively. Even with my wife, we go walks while I tire drag. So we're getting time together and I'm getting my training in, you know? And she's incredibly supportive, of course, to put up with all my nonsense. But, but when you operate from that both and paradigm, you can now think, how do I play big and play long? And then you start, you start just by asking a question and in time, because often we make like a statement is a wall. A question is a door. So I remember working with this one kid who said, I don't have enough money for college. Now, if you hold on to that paradigm, great. That's your reality. Now you can change it to a question. Now that becomes a door. How do I make enough money for college? How do I get a scholarship? How do I find a college that will grant me financial aid or whatever the thing is, right? But now you ask the question and you start looking for answers. The answers may not come instantly, but that's okay. Keep asking the question. Keep putting yourself in rooms with people who can help you answer that question. Keep asking it deeper. Keep you know look for new 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 learnings. Read new books, new podcasts to find those answers. And then you will start finding some
0: answers. And then you can see how you can create a both and reality. If you don't have a full page of notes right now, I don't know what you are doing, <laughs> <laughs> man. I got I got so many notes. Oh man, uh, actually, this is so awesome. Uh, tell us a little bit about the expedition specifics, because I know you're raising funds and I want anybody that's listening to get behind you in this mission. Thank you, brother. And really, like if if you're tuned in here, I I want you to pay attention to two things. We have gone almost 90 minutes, 75 minutes at this point, simply talking about change. That's all we've been talking about is how you change, how you get more, how you grow, how you evolve. And the way that Akshay talks about this is how we all can talk about this. I, I've hung out with him enough times to know that he believes that we are all capable of having this kind of relationship with change. And the way he talks about his mission is equally the same. The way you talk about Antarctica it's not—it's not just for you; it's representative to many. So, if you're tuned in, I, I just just go back and listen to this again. But the way uh, you can get behind him and his mission is ultimately the same way you can get behind yours and that's to subscribe and say like hell yeah i'm going in to the battlefield so tell us about
1: it yeah so for this never before accomplished 110 day solo 1700 mile crossing of antarctica it will <laughs> we're filming a documentary around it it's never been done before as i said you know dragging this sled in 12 hours a day minus 40 degrees uh to pull off the first ever non-unsupported crossing off antarctica coast to coast and it will not be just for me. We want to inspire human beings. Everybody's got their own Antarctica. Everybody's battling their own storms. And because I get to go play so far out on those edges and go into the you know the most crazy places on earth, it I get to unearth new treasures. And I'm simply a messenger for those treasures, for that wisdom that is revealed to me in the likes of Antarctica to bring it back. And so hmm. we will, like, I mean, it's like the four-minute mile, right? It it expands human consciousness edge. And so to to support to. uh to support on this journey, you can go to greatsoulcrossing.com. There is, that that we have a crowdfunding campaign up there. It's great, G-R-E-A-T-S-O-U-L crossing.com. And we have to raise $750,000 to pull it off. That's just the nature of this beast. It's quite a logistical challenge as well as a mental and physical one. And so it's quite a lot of logistics for medical staff, uh, flights, things like that. And so any support in the crowdfunding campaign would be greatly appreciated. I also give away all my in-depth mindset trainings that I've cultivated over the year, like decades, that go way deeper than what we've talked about in the the pursuit of mastery at different donation tiers. So your contribution will, and 100% of the proceeds there goes directly to the crossing. I'm not making a single dollar off the campaign. You can also get my book, Fearvana, uh, on Amazon in paperback Kindle, Audible, uh, all the profits right now we are donating the crossing, and after the crossing, we donate all the profits to charity as well. So any support there would be much appreciated. And I feel very, very, very confident in saying you'd get value from both Firvana as well as the trainings that I give away.
0: Yeah, I highly recommend you get Firvana. I highly recommend that you get behind this, and dollars doesn't need to be large. Add up exactly, so it doesn't need to be a break the bank. Yeah, just just contribute. Uh, I have found that in contributing to something Absolutely. like this, I feel a part of it. And that that's interesting because what I feel part of is another person pursuing their... Worthy struggle, uh, yeah. What was it called? Worthy struggle. And if there is something that I want to be remembered for, because mortality is a big part of what motivates me as well, uh-huh it is being a part of many people's worthy struggles mm-hmm. and, and helping them find their worthy struggle in a way. Um, actually, this is this is absolutely awesome, man. There, there is no better testimony to, to a belief system that you and I share about getting out of your own way, about change, about evolution. There are so many nuggets in here from, you know, everyone has a different rock bottom, courage being the most important virtue, making the world small, uh, your relationship with hurt, transcendence, Given space to the negativity that's in your mind. Intelligence is holding two contradictory ideas at the same time. Not being worthy, like turning that into a paradigm that that's will serve crazy. you. Like there, there are so many gems. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for your time today. This was, this was incredible.
1: Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you.
0: I'm glad it was of value. Give Akshay a follow. Uh, uh, what's Fear your social? Instagram, Fearvana. Yeah, give, give him a follow. The journey is I- incredibly entertaining uh, and I think is a reminder to push into your discomfort when you lose sight of that.
1: Ashley, thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you, man.